0: Chapter Four of the Vikings by Alan Mower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kevin Johnson. Chapter Four: The Vikings in the Frankish Empire to the Founding of Normandy (911). End of bracket. The years from 850 to 865 were perhaps the most unhappy in the whole history of the sufferings of the Frankish Empire under Viking attack. The Danes now took up more or less permanent quarters, often strongly fortified on the Scheldt, the Somme, the Seine, the Loire, and the Garonne, while Utrecht, Ghent, Amiens, Paris, Chartres, Tours, Blois, Orleans, Poitiers, the Bordeaux, and many other towns and cities were sacked often more than once when Flor obtained from the young herker of denmark a concession of certain districts between the eider and the sea he gave trouble in that direction and sailed up the elbe and the Weser alike his nephew gudroder was in occupation of flanders and the lower valley of the Shout. besides these viking leaders who were active in the low countries we have the names of several others who were busy in france itself the most famous of these were the sons of ragnar lothbrok Berno, who first appeared on the Seine in 855, was Bjorn Ironside. Well, it is quite possible that the Sidrock who accompanied him was Sigurd Snake-Eye, another son of that famous leader. With Bjorn, at least according to Norman tradition, came Hastingas Old Norse, Haustein), end of bracket, his foster father. Haustein was destined to a long and active career, We first hear of him in the annals of 866, when he appeared on the Loire, and it was he who was one of the chief leaders in the great Danish invasion of England in 892-4. The sudden appearance of these leaders was undoubtedly due, as suggested in the previous chapter, to the turn of events in Denmark at this time. During the year of the revolution, 854, no attacks were made on France at all, and then immediately after came a flood of invaders. The Seine was never free, from 855 to 62, and the Loire district was little better off. The troubled and desolate condition of the country may be judged, from the numerous royal decrees commending those who had been driven from their land, to the protection of those with whom they had taken refuge, and exempting them from payment of the usual taxes. Many even deserted their Christian faith and became worshippers of the gods of the heathen. The difficulties of Charles the Bald were greatly increased by succession troubles both in Brittany and Aquitaine. Now one, now another claimant allied himself with the Northmen, and Charles himself was often an offender in this respect. He initiated the disastrous policy of buying off attack by the payment of large sums of what in England would have been called Danegeld. In 859 occurred an incident which throws a curious light on the condition of the country. The peasants between the Seine and the Loire rose of their own accord and attacked the Danes in the Seine Valley. It is not quite clear what followed, but the rising was a failure, and possibly it was crushed by the Frankish nobles themselves, who feared anything in the nature of a popular rising made without reference to their own authority. In any case, the incident bears witness to a lack of proper leadership by the nobles. After the year 865, the tide of invasion set from France towards England. These were the years of Alfred's great struggle, and Danish efforts were concentrated on the attempt to reduce that monarch to submission. The Franks themselves had begun to realize the necessity of more carefully organized resistance. They began building fortified bridges across the rivers at certain points, in order to stop the passage of Viking ships. And they also fortified several of their towns and cities, thus giving perhaps a hint for the policy later adopted in England by Edward the Elder. Probably the Franks were not above taking lessons from their enemies in the matter of fortification, for the latter had already shown themselves approved masters of the art in such fortified camps as that of Jufoss on the Seine, in another way also had the Danes showed themselves ready to adapt themselves to new fighting conditions. Not only did they build forts, but we hear of them as mounted, and henceforward horses played an important part in their equipment both in France and England. During these years the Vikings made one notable expedition far beyond the ordinary range of their activity, Starting from the Seine in 859, under the leadership of Bjorn and Houstane, they sailed round the Iberian Peninsula through the Straits of Gibraltar. They landed in Morocco and carried off prisoners, many of the Moors, or Blue Men as they called them. Some of these found their way to Ireland and are mentioned in certain Irish annals of the period. After fresh attacks on Spain, they sailed to the Balearic Isles and Rossillon which they penetrated as far as Arles-sur-Cheque. They wintered in the island of Camargue, in the Rhône-Delta, and they raided the old Roman cities of Provence and sailed up the Rhône itself as far as Valence. In the spring of the next year they sailed to Italy. They captured Pisa and Luna, bracket, at the mouth of the Magra, and bracket, the latter being taken by a clever stratagem. Houstane feigned himself sick unto death, and was baptized by the Bishop of Luna during a truce. Then news came that Haustein was dead, and the Vikings asked Christian burial for him. Permission was given, and a mock funeral procession entered the city. It was in reality a band of armed men in disguise, and the city was soon captured. The real aim of the Vikings in this campaign was the capture of Rome, with its mighty treasures. But, for some reason unknown, they made no advance further south, Scandinavian tradition said it was because they mistook Luna for Rome and thought their work already done. Sailing back through the Straits of Gibraltar, they returned to Brittany in 862. The Vikings had now almost encircled Europe with their attacks, for it was in the year 865 that the Swedish Rose, bracket (Russians) bracket, laid siege to Constantinople. When Alfred secured a definite peace with the Danes in 878, those who were averse to settling permanently returned to their old, roving life. They made their way up the Somme and the Scheldt, and their progress was not stopped by a brilliant victory gained by the young Louis III in June 881 at Socourt, near the Somme, a victory which is celebrated in the famous Ludwig's Ludwigsliade. During the same years, another Viking host invaded Saxony, winning a decisive victory over Duke Bruno on the Lüneburg heath. After their defeat at Saucourt, the main body of the Danes made their way to Elsloo on the Meuse, whence they ravaged the Meuse, Rhine, and Moselle districts, plundering Cologne, Bonn, Koblenz, Aachen, Trevey, and Metz. So alarmed was the emperor Charles the Fat that he entered into negotiations with the Danish king Gudrother, who was with the forces at Elsloo. He secured Guthrother's acceptance of Christianity and the promise of security from further attack at the price of a large payment of danegeld and the concession to Guthrother of the province once held by Röker with large additions. The exact extent of the grant is uncertain, but it included the district of Kinnem bracket, round Elkmar and Haarlem and probably covered the greater part of modern Holland from the Vlié to the Scheldt. Here Gudrother lived in semi-independence, and might perhaps have established another Normandy within the empire had he not been ruined by too great ambition. He entirely failed to defend his province from attacks. Indeed, he probably gave them covert support. He intrigued with Hugo, the bastard son of Lothair II, against the emperor, married his sister Gisela, and then asked for additional territories on the Rhine and the Moselle, on the plea that his own province included no vine-growing districts. Gudrother had now overstepped all reasonable limits. The emperor entered into negotiations with him, but secured his death by treachery, when a meeting was arranged near Cleve. With the fall of Gudrother, Danish rule in Frisia came to an end, and though we hear of isolated attacks, Even during the early years of the 10th century, there was no more serious trouble in that district. In the autumn of 882, encouraged doubtless by the news of the death of Louis III, the Danes returned from the Meuse to Flanders, and during the next three years ravaged Flanders, Brabant, and Picardy, establishing themselves strongly at Louvain. In 885, they abandoned these districts and sailed up the Seine, after a nine years' absence. In November, they reached Paris, with a fighting force of some 30,000 men, and a fleet of 700 vessels. The passage up the river was stopped by fortified bridges, and the besiegers were fortunate in having as leader two men of great ability and courage, first Gauzlin, abbot of Saint-Germain's, and later Count Odo of Paris. The position of Paris was at times desperate, the Danes were exasperated by the stout defence, and in their eagerness to plunder further up the river dragged many of their ships some two miles overland past Paris, and so reached the upper waters of the Seine. Later, as the result of peaceful negotiations, they obtained permission to pass the bridges on condition that they only ravaged Burgundy, leaving the Seine and Marnay districts untouched. Thus had the provinces of the Frankish Empire lost all sense of corporate union. The Danes soon made their way as far west as Verdun. Here, however, they were disastrously routed by Odo, now King of the West Franks, bracket, June 888, bracket. and in the next year they finally abandoned the siege of Paris, making their way to Brittany. In Brittany they found another army already busy. The Bretons had won a great victory in the autumn of 888, when only 400 out of some 15,000 Danes made their way back to their fleet. The great Herre from the Seine now joined forces with the remnants of this army, but proved powerless against Duke Alan. And some returned to Flanders in 890, while House with the rest, sailed to the Somme. The Danes in Flanders were defeated by Arnulf, bracket afterwards Emperor, end of bracket, on the dial near Louvain in 891, but it had no great effect for soon after we find them again as far east as Bonn. A bad harvest in the summer of 892 brought famine in its train, and this was more effective in ridding the land of invaders. In the autumn of the year the whole army, horses and all, crossed in one passage in some 250 ships from Boulogne to the mouth of the Liman in Kent, and, shortly after, House with a fleet of eighty ships, left the Somme and sailed to Milton in North Kent. The story of the campaigns there has already been told. For the first time since 840, the Frankish Empire was free from invaders. Grievous as were the losses of the Franks, it is well to remember that those of the Danes had been great also, their fleet had been reduced from 700 to 250 ships. And as the whole army could still go to England in one crossing, that must also have been reduced from 30 to 10 or 15,000 men. When the English invasion had failed, those who could not settle in England returned to their French haunts once more. A small force of eight ships and some 200 men sailed up the Seine under one Hunkdeus and gradually their numbers were increased by fresh arrivals from abroad. They made their way north to the Meuse, south to the Loire, and east to Burgundy, but their headquarters were on the lower waters of the Seine. In 903, other invaders appeared on the Loire under leaders named Barait, bracket, Old Norse, Bardr, and bracket, and Herik, bracket, Old Norse, Erker, and bracket. The name of Barthur is mentioned more than once in the contemporary history of the Norsemen in Ireland, and as the Norsemen were driven from Dublin in 902, it is probable that these invaders came from there. The expedition was not a success, and the Vikings soon sailed away again. Of the history of the settlers on the Seine after 900, we unfortunately know practically nothing. The Norman historian Dudo. Attempted in the eleventh century to give a connected account, but his narrative is confused and unreliable. Otto was dead, and Charles the Simple was more interested in conquering Lorraine than defending Neustria. The clergy were wary of the ceaseless spoiling of the monasteries and anxious for the conversion of the heathen, while the nobles were, as usual, selfish and careless of the interests of the country at large. The Northmen made no great expeditions between 900 and 910, but maintained a steady hold on the lower Seine and the districts of Bessin and Cotentin. They could not extend their territories, and the Franks could not drive them from the Seine. At length, largely through the intervention of the clergy, a meeting was arranged between Charles and the Viking leader Rollo at St. Clair-sur-Epte, before the end of 911. Here the province later known as Normandy bracket including the counties of Rouen, Lisieux, Evreux, and the district between the rivers Bresle and Ept and the Sea bracket, was given to Rollo and his followers as a beneficium on condition that he defended the kingdom against attack and himself accepted Christianity. The Danes now formed a definite part of the Frankish kingdom and occupied a position analogous to that of their countrymen in East Anglia, Northumbria, and Mercia in England, except that the latter, after a period of freedom, had, in course of time, to pass definitely under English rule. The story of the foundation of Normandy is obscure. Still more obscure is the origin and history of the leader of the Northmen at this time. Norse tradition, as given by Snorri Sturluson, makes Rollo to be one son of Roggenwalder, Earl of Mor, who was exiled by Harold Fairhair and led a Viking life in the west. Norman tradition, as found in Dudo, made him out the son of a great noble in Denmark, who was expelled by the king and later went to England, Frisia, and northern France. Dudo's account of the founding of Normandy is so full of errors, clearly proven, that little reliance can be placed on his story of the origin of Rollo. The Heimskringla tradition was recorded much later, but is probably more trustworthy, and it would be no strange thing to find a man of Norse birth leading a Danish host. Ragnar Lothbrok and his sons were Norsemen, by family, but they appear for the most part as leaders of Danes. How Rollo came to be the leader of the Danes in France, and what his previous career had been, must remain an unsolved mystery. His name is not mentioned apart from the settlement of Normandy. The Normans continued to ravage Brittany without any interruption, and they were soon granted the further districts of Bayeux, Siez, Avranches, and Coutances, which made Brittany and Normandy conterminous. End of chapter 4